moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. It's interesting that you mentioned that your time in customer service and your time in sales built out an engine for your future success. What is it about sales and customer service specifically that you feel better prepared you for a life in entrepreneurship versus if you had skipped that and just gone that route right out of right out of college? I feel like if if you can sell at the corporate level, it, and it, it is a challenge, right? But if you can sell at that level, you can sell for yourself. It's really not that much of a transition. Being able to sell is a fairly transferable skill. You can take that anywhere, right? But it's more than that. It's being able to have open conversation with someone, being able to develop a relationship with someone. So yes, it started off as sales and customer service, but it taught me really the foundations of building, building a relationship. And to me, that's the foundation of entrepreneurship. No business, especially a startup business, exists without relationships. You have to have good, strong relationships in with whatever, if it's customers, if it's business partners, if it's investors, or if it's all three. You have to be able to have open communication and strong relationships or otherwise otherwise it's just not going to work people want to do business with people they like and trust and being able to form a relationship with somebody is really a key element to any business but it's essential if you're an entrepreneur and now the conclusion of our conversation with tara gooch on cascading leadership i think there's another element of entrepreneurship in general and sales in particular that you're leaving out People think about being an entrepreneur as if it's like sunshine and lollipops. And you gotta have you gotta have a cast iron stomach to deal with what that involves because and this is where I was hoping you were gonna go with <laughs> with the sales side of it. If you're successful in enterprise level sales or in B2B sales, that means you're failing probably 70% if you're really good, you're failing 70% of the time. And if you're average, you're failing 80% of the time. So there's a level of intestinal fortitude that you need to have to deal with that on a day in, day out basis. And I think that's really the the muscle that you have to build to be an entrepreneur because you're still spending most of your time being told no. And if you're not prepared for 80% of your 24-hour day being told no, you shouldn't you should get a paycheck versus working for yourself. That is absolutely true. And yeah, if you've ever worked in sales, you'll understand that a hundred percent because there is a lot of failure in sales. But those failures that you experience are just stepping stones because it teaches you something. As long as you're learning from it, and I've been told no more times than I can count. But the key is to 
not let it deter your next call, not let it affect your next opportunity, not carry that with you, which is a huge skill in itself, not carrying that weight of the failure with you, of that last rejection with you, and continuing on as if it never happened. And keeping that smile on your face for the next call, even if they reject you too, it's not easy. The big thing about what sales teaches you that's relevant to being an entrepreneur is that it helps you build the stomach for failure. And the quicker you can detach from the outcomes of those sales activities, the better off that you can be. And really, the focus should be, how can I connect with 100% of the market that I'm going for and just build relationships and conversations versus how do I find the 3% that's ready to buy what I have right now? I think that's a losing proposition and it'll screw with your head. If you look at, I got to find the people that are ready to buy now. So you went the corporate route. What did you learn during the during your time in the corporate world and how did that shape some of your future decisions? I went up to a sales director and I enjoyed it, but it was just not for me. So I have a lot of grit and hustle just by nature, but it was all consuming. It just, uh, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't living to my, what I would call my purpose, right? So for me, my purpose is I need to work for myself a hundred percent. I'm an entrepreneur and will always be one. I guarantee you. What it taught me was not to accept as is and not to settle for something that does not serve you. So I learned a lot. I learned how to negotiate. I learned how to talk to any customer. I learned so many powerful lessons. I learned how to cross communicate between organizational units and departments, right? So many great lessons. But one of the most powerful lessons that I learned, huge takeaway, is the safe route, which I would consider the full-time job, right? The 40 hours work week, the corporate structure. The safe route can fail too. So take the risk. Because if you don't take the risk, you'll never get the reward. If you stay in your comfort zone and stay in that safe route where there's no risk, you'll never really reach the full benefit of your potential. It led to burnout. It led to battles of depression, anxiety. I didn't feel like it was for me. I was just constantly anxious, constantly unsettled, working, just working for someone else. It just, I could feel in my nature, it just was not my path. Yeah, I remember, and I was, you know, I've been in toxic work environments in the past, so I'm sure anybody listening to this has their own separate toxic work environment story. But I've been there. I've been there in the past, and I was there as a corporate sales director. And I remember calling my husband that day and saying, "You know what? If I quit today, will you support my decision?" And I, if I decided again, because our business was started during COVID, if I decide to take this full time. Will you support me? Do you think we'll be successful? Of course, his answer was yes, because anything he said, anything you do and you put your mind to, you'll figure it out and you'll be successful. And really, that was the catalyst that I need, the jumping point that I need to just say, all right, believe in yourself, leave the rest behind you, leave the toxicity behind you, leave the negativity behind you, start something yourself, you can do it. And that was really the jumping point for me. I think. For a lot of people that are listening, it doesn't necessarily need to be an all or nothing equation. 
for you, the entrepreneurship route fit what you're looking for. One of the guests that I've had on, Phil Rank, who is the CEO of Lean Alaska, he mentioned something when he was talking about his transition from military life to civilian life. Like the way that he planned it out was he's got what he calls a pace plan. So he's got the primary plan, his alternative plan, the contingency plan, and the emergency plan. And when you think about navigating your career, I think there's an avenue for the average person to actually integrate both a W-2 role and a side hustle and maybe even something else into creating multiple revenue streams for themselves. So I don't want people to walk away from this thinking it's got to be entrepreneurship and nothing because that might be beyond the risk tolerance of, uh, of somebody. And in fact, when I volunteer for Strively and I do some sessions that I teach for them on brand building and also how you should actually plan out your workday. And one of the things that I mentioned is split your day. You have 24 hours in a day. So use a 12-12 format, eight hours of it for your W-2 job, and then four hours that are allocated to building or developing a side hustle or side income stream. So you have eight hours of work, you have four hours of a side project that you want to monetize. And so that's 12 hours. And then you have 12 hours to like relax or sleep or whatever else it is that you want to do. So I think if you regiment your day in that format, you're probably coming up with at least three out of four on that pace plan. You have a primary, which is your steady paycheck. You have your alternate, which is your side hustle. You have your contingency, which is what you're building. And then the emergency is whatever happens that that you've already had well-established that is your last fallback option. You decide to branch out on your own. But just because you say I'm an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you're actually doing anything. So what were the, the things that you did to prep and build a customer base so that you have an easy or an easier launch. Yes, I will walk you through that. But circling back to what you just said about multiple income streams as well, I do want to touch on that real quick because you can have multiple income streams within a business. So one of the first things that I did was, along with identifying customers, obviously, was to identify multiple income streams. So how can I take this one business, like you say, and instead of having it just be this one stream of revenue, what other streams of revenue can I pull from? So this year, that was one of my biggest missions was to find how many revenue streams I can get from one business. And I've identified so far, I would say between eight and 10 solid streams from one business that I have that because of that, it was made the transition so much easier. It You can stick with a nine to five job and have a side hustle as well, and maybe another income stream. You can be an entrepreneur, go all in and find more than one revenue stream there as well. There is opportunity. Again, there's opportunity. It's There's more opportunity than I think people realize and give it credit for when you start a business. When you mention taking a business and creating multiple revenue streams, it's basically defining what are your product lines and then how do I monetize these different products into different revenue streams? I want to swing back to the question about you decide to launch and where did the customers come from? 
what was your plan to transition to an entrepreneur? And what did you do to establish a customer base, build those relationships and do it at scale? So thankfully, I have a very large network on LinkedIn. So most of our customer base has really come from my LinkedIn network. I'm extremely grateful for the members of LinkedIn for supporting me through that entrepreneur leap, right? So most of our business has come from there, but a lot of it was also referrals. And with my husband being, he was a freelance artist, designer for almost 20 years prior to us officially starting our LLC. So he had a reoccurring book of clientele anyway, and such a strong reputation in the industry itself that it was it was more of a, it was pretty of seamless transition. So we were very fortunate. You touched on something where you're talking about LinkedIn was a big accelerator for your customer base, but not everybody is born with a baked in network on LinkedIn. So what were some of the things that you did to build a network on that platform that can be broadly applied to any platform that your customers happen to be on? That started with year a couple of years ago. So I don't know how long I've been on LinkedIn. I would say maybe five and a half years or so. I've been growing it steadily like it's a job and I've treated it like it's a job. I network every single day and I've done that almost every day for that amount of time. So four or five and a half years. And every week I max out my connections. Every week I actively engage with others' posts. Every week I actively engage with prospects on a DM basis, not salesy, but more of, hi, I want to introduce myself, not engaging with the out, not expecting an outcome. But that's how I started and how I grew it. And at the time when I started LinkedIn, again, I was very much involved in the corporate world. I didn't know the future potential that the platform would hold for me. I had no idea, but I knew that if I grew it and connected with influential people that eventually something would, I knew I could turn it into its own machine. And that's what I've tried to do. And I think I've been become fairly successful at that, taking my network and turning it into a profiting machine that helps my business and being able to leverage that. Looking at the blocking and tackling from the perspective of, hey, it's a part of your job or it's almost like a job. That's one aspect that I think it's important. You got to work at it every day. Now, the thing that I will add to that is that it's not necessary that you work at it eight hours a day to do it. In fact, usually if you're if you're disciplined and you spend an hour a day, 30 minutes in the beginning of the day, 30 minutes at the end of the day doing various things, that will give you a lot of runway to do what you need to do. And that's before we even start talking about creating content or driving content around there. But I, I want to probe on that a little bit. When you're talking about treating it like a job, you mentioned some of the things that, that you did. You maxed out your connections, you're sending direct messages, all of that sort of stuff. When you look at what does that give you as a business owner, what are some of the things that it helps establish for you as an entrepreneur that you think is important for the listeners and viewers to to understand. The first thing I'll say is it's not necessarily the biggest number that matters. It's a quality of a number, right? So you want to engage with people 
that want to engage with you. You want to engage with people that are like-minded, that want that want to do business with you, that uh, you have a relationship with, right? Not just for the sake numbers for the sake of numbers. So I learned that lesson fairly early on that it's not necessarily a numbers game necessarily. You do need a strong core network. But one of the most important things that LinkedIn has specifically taught me that I hope to teach others is how to really, again, it's more about relationship marketing. So doing for others, being with a spirit of reciprocity. So not sending somebody a salesy DM and just expecting them to buy from you. It's how can you serve others? And I think if you lead with that mentality and lead with that thought and that action, people are naturally more receptive to that. And that's generally how I like to form relationships. That's what I feel like I'm good at. That's my strong suit is getting to know people, getting to know them on a personal level, but building it from a relationship standpoint. And again, that air of reciprocity. What? How can I serve you? How can we work together to build each other up, to help each other grow? I think any sane person is receptive to that, including your clients, right? You said that one of the things that you're really good at is building relationships. And the other uh, other element that you mentioned is operate with servant mindset and with no expectation of reciprocity. And here's where that's important. And I talk about this with my teams. If you have a friend or if you have a group of friends and you're thinking about that interaction with that group of friends, everybody's willing to help everybody else out. But every friend group has that one friend that is always asking for stuff. But then when it comes time for them to actually do something for you, they're nowhere to be found. Yeah. So when you apply that to the selling world and your interactions on any platform, if you're the person that is constantly like hitting up your network for what they can do for you, you're going to have a hard time building a business. And I think the thing that you're hitting at that I always talk about with my teams is in business and in life, you always want to be in a position where you're giving two or three times more than what you ask, because everybody that's on any platform is on there for their own purposes. So they will, you you will buy space and earn space of their attention if you're actually trying to promote their interests, like how, what is this person trying to accomplish and how is what I know from a skills perspective going to help them advance what they want? And that's, you should always be operating from that two to three times you want to give more than you ask. And then that's how you actually set the foundation for a business relationship and, and any other kind of relationship. Tara, one of the things that's, that's really important about your brand building effort that's, that I just called out is, from a mindset perspective, you need to be operating from the from a mindset of generosity. What can you give that's going to help somebody else advance their initiative? Now, when we look at doing that to build a network, that makes sense. But how does building a network create a brand? And when you create a brand, what does that open up for you? So first off, you are an entity and just a business is an entity, right? So a business needs a brand. Would you buy from a business gem with if they didn't have a logo or a website or if uh, it was just 
if it was a soda bottle, if it was just totally plain, maybe you would buy it, but probably not, right? You would think it was defective, right? It's kind of the same for a personal brand. So your personal brand allows people in. It allows people to see you for who you really are. There's almost 8 billion people in this world and you are completely unique just as I am completely unique. A personal brand is not copying someone else. A personal brand is showcasing you and your story, but in the most professional way possible that builds trust. So if you're thinking on a platform like LinkedIn, first impressions, right? We get between five and 15 seconds to make a first impression. So we'll say the average is seven seconds, right? So seven seconds, a first impression is formed when you meet someone. The same goes for those first seven seconds when you view someone's profile on LinkedIn. It's a perception and you may only get just that one chance at that first impression. So by building an established personal brand that people like, people trust, people empathize with, people relate to creates opportunities, right? Because people are attracted to human stories. It's our evolution as a species. We like storytelling. We like learning. Our brains are hardwired for it. And we love learning about other people's experiences. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as TVs and movies. We love it. So building a brand is very similar to that. It's a showcase. It's your billboard. It's who you are. It's what you do. It's why you do it. It's who you serve. And it's your story. No two stories are the same. So by developing a personal brand that showcases you as an individual, as a trustworthy person, opportunities start to come to you. They start to become attracted to you. So by developing a personal brand, I've been offered just in the last couple months, I was offered a chief executive or pardon me, a chief experience officer position. That was just a couple months ago. I've been offered other business opportunities, consulting work, public speaking, so many different areas that honestly I never even had considered until I developed a strong personal brand that people liked and trust and wanted to do business with. So I had transparency. I've shared failures. I've shared successes. I've shared other people's failures and successes. I've shared motivation. I've shared inspiration. I've shared thing that can help other people because again, it's that servant mentality first. But because of that, opportunities have come to me. And honestly, I had a conversation with a VP of a company just this week about that same topic, how when he left his corporate job, he got 10, 10 offers within that week. So by developing a personal brand, <clears throat> specifically on LinkedIn, it really, there's no shortage of opportunities that could come to you. And it's not up to you to worry about what kind of opportunities will come to you. Trust me, they will. Like I said, I would have never thought of myself as a public speaker or a mentor or even a mindset coach, really, until this year when all of these opportunities started to be presented to me. And it started with that personal brand. One of the things that's worth mentioning about all of this brand conversation is that for some people, that might seem really abstract. And I think it's important to talk through what that actually means. When we talk in terms of brand, it's simply talking out in the open 
or sharing out in the open, which is what you talked about on a regular basis, what you care about, and also how you educate and inspire the world. So that's Steve Watts' phrase to move to you. You're creating, you're building what you want to become in the open. And you never know who's going to be watching or paying attention. But like when you look at LinkedIn, it's got millions of people on it, but only 2% are active in terms of actively. Okay. Yeah. 1% post, but there's a lot of lurkers. So if you're not the one that's actually like sharing your experiences and doing these things out in the open, you never get traction on building that brand component, which is how you put yourself in position to get these unknown opportunities uh, falling in your lap. So I think that's important. You have to be intentional about either being deliberate about posting every single day about things that you're experiencing, or you have to be deliberate about identifying the people that you resonate with and then driving the conversation forward on their posts so that eyes get drawn to you. So it's building conversation or having conversation at scale uh, or creating conversations at scale is that's the necessary precursor to brand building. And if you do it in the open, that's how you position yourself. Tara, fantastic conversation. We covered a lot of ground. And I think in any one of those show concepts that we introduced in the beginning, I could have we could have probably built an entire show on just that one topic. So it's yeah. it's been a really fun conversation, interesting conversation. Before we wind things down, why don't you share with the audience, both the listeners and the viewers, what you think are the two or three most important things that people need to pay attention to when they're thinking about entrepreneurship, brand building, career navigation, any of the things that we talked about in this conversation. I just want to reiterate one more time, the safe route can fail too. So life is all about risk. We're constantly changing. The only thing consistent in life is change. So embrace it. And if it's something that you believe in, if it's something that you're passionate about, if it's something that you're good at, like my mom, right? She was, she utilized a skill she already had and figured out how she could monetize it for her family to build her in business. The same goes for anyone watching this show. If you have a natural skill set or ability, someone else needs that. Somebody else wants that. Somebody else will pay you for that. You don't have to necessarily go to school for one certain thing. If you feel like what you have is a skill set that someone else can use, figure out how to monetize it. But believe in yourself, be brave, and step out of your comfort zone. And really, that's where growth comes from. Stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something every day that scares you a little bit. But I'm a very firm believer in the pound effect. So every day, create a little bit more action towards that goal. A little bit more. It doesn't have to, you don't have to grow by leaps and bounds. You have to grow a little bit every day, but it starts with consistency. And honestly, if you display consistent action towards anything, you'll be an expert in no time. But it starts with changing your, really your, uh, your attitude, changing behavior modifications, watching less TV, watching, eating less junk food, right? Eating more healthy. It's those compound actions every single day that lead you to success. It's not leaps, bounds. It's small actions made with consistent effort every time. I shouldn't be surprised, but even your takeaways have takeaways. So your comment about 
comment about focus on being just a little bit better each day. One of the people in my network, he's sharing a panel with me on a conference. His tagline is, my focus is just trying my best to get 1% better every day. And if you think about that over the course of an entire lifetime, if every day you're 1% better or even a quarter percent better, think of how much ground you can cover in a year. So I think that's that that's really solid stuff. So before we sign off, where can people find you, Tara? Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Tara Lafon Gooch. Thanks for joining us, Tara. Really fun conversation. Thank you for joining us. And if you like this show, make sure you leave a review and leave some comment comments. Give us your feedback. Looking forward to having more great conversations on cascading leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.